Thanks for being here today. My name is Drew. I'm the pastor here at Hope uh, Heights and glad you can make it. Glad we're all here together. Um, I got to I, over like I could hear things like skiing and sledding and uh, not not doing anything. I heard a few <laughs> nothings. <laughs> That's okay. You don't have to love it. You do live here in Minnesota. Uh, our family, one of our faves is sledding. This is a, a few years back. This is at Camp Lebanon. Anyone ever sled at Camp Lebanon? If you've been there, they have this great, they call it Hazard Hill, and it's dangerous. And uh, we went down and almost got hurt. We had a lot of fun. Um, I share this picture. This is one of my, this is the why for me of why sledding is probably one of my favorites. I remember as a kid being all, an adult, being all bundled up in your squishy coat and you cram together onto a sled, maybe even like wrap your legs around each other so you're all ready to go and you're all excited to go down the hill and there's that like warmth and that closeness and you almost can hear each other's hearts beating and then when you're going down the hill and you're all yelling and you're hoping you're not going to bail together and then you want to jump off but you can't because everyone's holding you. (laughs) There's so many good parts about that. I think it's the kind of being near and with people uh, that I loved about sledding. My favorite way to sled was and still is with a few people on a sled. Uh, and there's nothing like it as a dad getting a sled with your kids on a sled. This is actually like our old family toboggan uh, that was my grandfather's, I think. At least that's the story. It's been passed down for generations. Uh, and we get to take the girls on. It was very fun. Uh, it's one of my favorite winter things. That, that idea, that feeling of, of nearness when you're going down a hill uh, is different than if you're just doing it yourself. That's a little bit of what we're hoping to get to today. I'm hoping to get us there to a place where we're thinking, what is the nearness? And we're talking here in the book of Romans about the nearness of of God. And what does that mean? And how does that change things? That's true. The language that we're going to hear here actually is that language of that God is near to us. And why is that so important to Paul here? First though, we're going to get there. That's our hope here is to kind of get to that place of us all together and God near us. First though, in February, we like to highlight um, some just black heroes in the church. Uh, and I, I think every year I do Harry Tubman because she's like my favorite. Uh, and, this, and this week we're talking about Moses. And so it was too good to not use Harriet. Um, Harriet, if you're unaware, uh, was born as a slave and she is, uh, in around 1820. And she escaped in 1849. Um, and then her story is so incredible. The reason they have called her Moses is that She's escaped to freedom and then decided, actually felt called by God to continue to go back into danger, to continue. She would disguise herself. She had these elaborate plans uh, where she'd hide in certain places outside of farms. And she would instruct um, slaves that had escaped to escape uh, on Saturday nights because on on the Sabbath, nobody would would chase slaves because they were like, good Christians who wouldn't work on the Sabbath uh, and had slaves. So then they would have like an extra day that, uh, head start when they were escaping. These incredible stories you can read uh, if you look them up. But um, her not being satisfied with her own freedom, wanting to see others free, uh, they say she made about 19 trips back to rescue people, which is incredible. Uh, she helped deliver uh, at least 300 other people. A lot of times just her meeting with a group of people and helping them get out. Um, her, her, she takes a lot of pride in it. And she says, I've never lost a passenger on the Underground Railroad. Um, it's it, very, very cool. For after to, over time, then people started calling her Moses because she was uh, essentially acting out a similar story that we see in the Old Testament as Moses led the people f- to freedom from slavery under Pharaoh. 
Uh, and so she became known as Moses and Mother Moses, the conductor of the Underground Railroad. Some called her General Tubman, uh, uh, as if she was enlisted in the army. And she later then joined the army, actually as a nurse, and they used her and her skills as a spy. Uh, and so there's even stories of her faking, like she didn't know what was going on uh, because people would assume because she was a black woman, she could uh, get into places and people just assume she didn't know how to read or uh, listen or think. And so she could get information and then report it back. So many cool, cool stories. First, she later then was part of the suffrage movement, uh, uh, helping women get rights also in our country. She, her whole life spent just helping people and caring for people. She established uh, nursing homes and orphanages and care centers. It's really incredible. Um, her life uh, then ended in 1913, like the year before World War I. I often think of her, sometimes I think of her like as way, way back. But just the year before World War I, she passed away actually in one of her nursing homes um, in poverty. She actually ended her life uh, free, but still impoverished, uh, had some really hard times at the end of her life. She was actually um, caught like in a scam, like a, uh, I think it was about silver or something scam, which they had even back then. There weren't emails that she got, but someone scammed her and uh, pretty, pretty tough. It's interesting because I think of her, I think of her as she got freedom and then like she made it. And then she ended her life kind of in poverty and pretty hard times as well. But someone we definitely love to celebrate and her faith, we're going to talk about her later. Her faith is really what led her to do these things. And I think uh, we're going to see she, the comparison to Moses isn't just that she helped rescue people to freedom. I think it's a lot deeper in her own faith. So we are in a series in Romans uh, and we've been chugging through Romans. We're over halfway through now and we're in a, the third section of Romans as we get through it. We've understood that the gospel is that there's this great news that though we are sinners, we are rescued. And what does it look like to live in the spirit and that God's given us the spirit. And now we're in a section where we're looking at God's people, the Jewish people. And Paul, who writes this, he's writing this letter to his church in Rome. And we call it Romans in the Bible. He, he is asking the question of my people. He was a Jewish man. Why are my people, the Jewish people, the ones who seem to hold uh, all this, this great, um, uh, these great parts of faith, the great parts of God's people, why are they the ones who seem to not want to turn to Jesus? Uh, and so he's unpacking what that looks like. In Romans, we also have a lot of resources um, on our app, and we have a podcast. Our senior pastor over all of our locations has recorded, uh, and we'd love for you to to dive into that more. There's so much rich stuff in Romans. So right now we're in Romans nine through eleven. Just a quick overview as we get into our passage for today. Nine that we've been through is looking back at God's people and how God has always had this plan to be in, involved. He's always had a plan that He's in He's in control. Uh, he's always had a plan to call His people to Himself. Um, and it isn't because just because they're Jewish people, it isn't just because of their ethnicity. It's actually God is, is welcoming all people into his, his uh, family. And now in 10, as we move into this, he's looking at even currently, what are we seeing uh, in the people? He's kind of diagnosing, this is what we've seen. This is what we are seeing. And he's going to give us this hope in Romans 11 of what is for God's people, really the Jewish people, but really all of us. And all this, we see ourselves a lot in this. And so in nine, we got to, he started with this question, did God's plan fail then? Did Jesus come because the Jewish people weren't able to do what God wanted? The answer to that is no, uh, that God's always had this plan. He's always wanted to come rescue his people, always wanted to bring all people into this family. Uh, 
and, and all the parts that he was giving to them, whether there was worship or their leaders, uh, the, the, the prophets and the Psalms, all those pointed to that this Messiah that was going to come uh, and rescue them. And then when he does come, they don't turn to him. And so we've been using this terminology that Paul uses in here. He talks about there's Israel and then there's Israel. It's like using these two words. And not talking about the geographic place that we are reading about in the news, but the He's talking about the people, Israel, the Jewish people. There's ethnic people. Then there's people who are not Jewish people, which we call Gentile people in scripture. And then there are this true promised Israel, this, this real, this they call it even the remnant and part of what we've been reading, this group that is the actual people who have put faith in Christ. And he has come. He is the Messiah. He's the one they've been waiting for. And so he's going to continue to talk about why are some of his people, his family, his friends, uh, they're ethnically Jewish, but they haven't said yes to Jesus. They haven't put faith in Jesus. And this is what he like cries over. He talks about this anguish that he's in. These people haven't found this hope and this satisfaction in this life uh, in Jesus. And so they just go like, I'm ethnically a Jewish person. But he says, but the, 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 the entrance into God's family is this faith in what Christ has done. Um, and so in Romans 9 here, at the end of Romans, we hear why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, a belief in what Christ has done, but as if they were based on works, as if what they did to make things right, to, to atone for their sins, to make their, what they've done against God right and their relationship with God right. They stumbled over the stumbling stone who we've learned is Jesus in here. Um, and so instead of putting faith in Christ, they have in fact said, I don't need Christ's works. I can do this. And so they rely on their own righteousness, their rightness, instead of Jesus's rightness, which we hear in 1 Peter, builds this beautiful temple. Uh, instead, they use their own, which does not do that. And so we move into 10. 10, then, as we uh, were in the next section of 10, this is last week we looked at this, and what this looked like to be people, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So they have, they're zealous, they're excited, there's passion for God. It, it's not that Paul says they don't care about God. They do deeply. They just, they don't have the knowledge. They don't realize what it actually takes. The answer to how do I become right with God, essentially right then with yourself, how do I embrace how to become part of God's family isn't you do all the right things. It's actually that you believe and embrace that Jesus has done all the right things. And he says, they have zeal for God, but not knowledge. So we looked at that last week. And now we're moving into him continuing to talk about what does this look like? And he's going to look back at Moses. Let me read the whole passage here. This is our passage for today. Um, and it's going to have, there's a lot in there. It's going to have some sayings or phrases. You might go like, what is that? Why? These are because he's quoting, uh, Paul's actually going to quote different parts of Old Testament and probably pretty popular, pretty known like core uh, passages uh, for Jewish people. And he's going back to remind them, this is what even Moses has said. One of your great heroes, this is what he said. He's pointing us to what we have uh, today. So let me go through. And as you're going, maybe you're wondering, what, where is this from? We're going to get into these few passages. And why is he referencing these? What, how do these point us back now to Jesus? For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. The law being uh, that God gave them this set of guidelines, these rules. And righteousness being, if we just follow those rules, then we can be made right. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss. That could be 
interpret hell or chaos. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. The scripture says, anyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I have a passage you even are familiar with. Kind of in the middle of this, we hear this passage that all who call on the Lord will be saved. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. I remember hearing this a guy on a street corner in Chicago many years ago yelled this at me while I was waiting to cross the street. He said, he yelled, do you confess with your mouth and do you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead? And I said, yes. And he said, no, you don't. You're not a Christian. And I said, oh, I don't know what you want me to say. And thankfully the light turned. So I got to walk across the street. Um, I think I was in college then. I just remember going like, oh, wow, that was, a, that was wild. Um, but it's really at the heart, right? This is the heart of what you'd say, what is someone who is a follower of Jesus? A Christian is someone who would believe that, Jesus is Lord and believe that he was raised from the dead. That is what saves us. That is what makes us right. So why is he referencing all these other passages about uh, going up, ascending to heaven and going into the abyss? Uh, they're quoted. So they're actually, they're from the Old Testament. We're just going to walk through this today quick to kind of hopefully unpack what this means. Why this, even this nearness, as I started with, with sledding, with why that matters. So we start here with uh, the first passage for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. The person who does the commandments shall live by them. This is a, uh, not actually a direct quote, but a loose quote. Uh, uh, I think he's saying something that probably is very common to Jewish and probably other people too in the church to say, hey, this is a, this is a thing, right? We all know. We've heard that in Leviticus, it says, keep my decrees and laws for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. So he's, he's quoting this kind of phrase that you might have heard. And this is a phrase that you might think, okay, so then if I just follow the laws, if I follow the things God has commanded us to do, which we see in Leviticus is a lot of things and we see in, in Deuteronomy is a lot of things. We see in, you know, throughout scripture, God says, hey, this is what it looks like to live as a whole person, a healthy person, the way I've created you to live. If I just follow all of those things, then I will live and I'll have life. Then I will send, then I will achieve all the things God wants, and then God will bless me with things. And so this is our first uh, introduction here. I think Tim Keller says about this passage, so this isn't Moses uh, introducing it to like, this is the way to live. It's actually this passage hopefully reminds us, as in like the Ten Commandments remind us, if you start walking through the Ten Commandments and you're honest, you'd say like one or two and you'd go, Ugh, I don't think I can do this. It makes us go, I don't know if I can do this. This is what we talked about earlier in Romans. The law reminds us that we can't do it. And then we go, oh, I wish I had someone who could do it. And then, and then we say, we have had someone who can do it. Jesus has done it, which should lead us to want to have faith. It just, it's essentially an opportunity to say, if you could live by all these, then you'd have life. You say, oh, how good. And then go, but we're broken and we're sinners and we're selfish and we turn away from God into other things especially ourselves. So it's a statement that's reminding us essentially as if we kind of made a promise that we could do something and we just, something we just know we can't 
do. I was trying to think this week, what are some things I, I just would love to say I could do? And maybe I have, and I just never do. One of them is dunking. I can't dunk. I know many of you are probably thinking about that. You think, I bet Drew can dunk. I can't. I've uh, tried, like on an actual hoop, even a lower hoop. The only way I could dunk is when I was a kid, we'd put the hoop really low. And then we'd film um, old video camera shots from underneath. Anyone else do this? So it looked like you could dunk. But I wasn't really dunking. I was walking up and dropping it in. I can't dunk. I would love to dunk. Another one that happens a lot in my life, actually, since college, I've been betting. This is all from AI. So that's why the, the Brewers is the like Brewers. Uh, this is what it looks like if you type in Brewers win the World Series. It never happened. It didn't happen. So AI has to create an image of it. Uh, but every year since college, I bet my, was my college roommate, my friend, Matt, every year I bet him about this time of year that the Brewers are going to go undefeated. So it started as a dollar. And then the next year it was double or nothing and triple or nothing and quadruple or nothing. And it's been a few years. So it's like 50 to nothing, whatever it is. So, but I will text him this year and I'll say the Brewers are going to go undefeated and he will send me a smiley face and he'll say, I'll take that bet. <laughs> and every year I don't win at the bet. This doesn't happen. And so I have to use AI to generate a picture of it because it doesn't happen. Or maybe you've had this, something like this. Um, I think of when it's, I'm starting to feel like it's going to get warm and I get to go golfing. And I think of how many times I start around and I go like, this is it, Drew. This is, is going to be the round where you shoot like two under. Like every hole you par or birdie, or maybe you can get birdie. You're feeling good today. You're on the range and I'm really hitting them well. And so the first tee box I get up to and I'm like, hey guys, this might be my day. I think I'm going to birdie every hole, which means I get one under. It's in, insane. It's insane for me. It's as insane as I think I can dunk. And then my first shot for sure goes into the woods. I'm hitting this shot out of the woods because I think I can still save the birdie. This is where I think Paul wants us a little bit in this moment. He goes, remember where, where Moses says, hey, if you can do all that God has laid out, then you can have life. The one who can do this can bring life. Unless you can't. And, and it's okay. This is, this is all of Romans kind of up till now, Paul's been saying, and we can't. And it's okay, actually, because God has a plan and always has had a plan to rescue his people. He explains it even more, I think, of what it looks like for us to live in that way, to live by the works that we think we can figure it out and, and finding ourselves tripping again over Jesus instead of embracing Jesus. But the righteous based on faith says this, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. So he's making a statement that's actually him quoting Deuteronomy uh, 30, almost exactly quoting it, but this idea that's actually quoted in Deuteronomy 30. So he's saying, Moses said this in Deuteronomy 30. You remember when he told us this? For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. So Moses here is in Deuteronomy 30, this is actually the end of Moses' life. He actually knows that uh, God's people have been rescued from, from uh, the Pharaoh, from Egypt. If you remember those stories, they're incredible. God has to rescue them over and over and over. These miraculous things happen. He leads them by smoke and fire at night. And then they're, they're trapped by this big sea. And then God parts the sea so they can get through. It's over and over. God going, you can't do this. 
but I can. And he rescues them and rescues them. Moses leads them through this and then they get rescued and he goes up to get the 10 commandments. And when he comes down, they've created a, a golden calf and now they're worshiping, not God, but this golden calf. It's this over and over cycle where, where he keeps going, no, 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 turn to, turn to God, turn to God, turn to God. And so as Moses leads them through the wilderness, they're about to enter the promised land. They call it the promised land, the place God's promised them. It will no longer be wilderness and desert, but it'll be beautiful. And they'll eat big grapes and eat honey and sit by the lake. It'll be magical. And he, God says, you don't get to go into the promised land, Moses, but your people do. And so Moses essentially gets to gather them and say, hey, I want, this is the life I, I don't want you to forget. This is what life looks like. It looks like you choosing God and not choosing death, which is not God. And so then he gives this, for this command that I command you today is not too, not too hard for you, either is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. So the first thing is, it's not the, the life that you're looking for, the satisfaction, the wholeness isn't far away. It's not a thing you have to work hard. You don't have to be so good that you, you go to heaven. You don't have to be so holy that you have to enter heaven and somebody has to come back and go, hey, I am really awesome. And God gave me the secrets to life or God came through me to life, right? So he's saying, you don't have to do that. It's near you. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it. So he's saying, you don't have to go far away into the chaotic sea. The sea often in Old Testament in scripture is kind of chaos and abyss. It can be seen as like hell, a, a space away from God. You don't have to go up to heaven. You also don't have to go into the sea and sacrifice your life for that time. And then he says this, but the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. He says that the thing, the life you're looking for isn't way off over there, a thing you have to work hard at and, and hope you adventure to find. And it's not way up there. And when Paul talks about it in Romans, he says, it's not down in the abyss. It's not like you have to sacrifice and give yourself. You don't have to uh, die for this. And you don't have to be so good and so holy. It's actually right here with you. God is right here with you. And so after 120 years, Moses' life ends here with him encouraging these people to choose life and not choose death. And to choose life looks like embrace this nearness to you. That God has freed these people and now God and Moses wants to encourage them. And Paul's saying, you're, I think you're doing the same thing that you were doing way back. You're doing this thing where you think you have to work at and figure out a way to get to God who seems far off and he's right with you. He's in your mouth and your heart. He's like, close to you, very close. So we do this thing, right? I think for us now, we do this thing where we want to ascend to heaven. We want to bring back salvation. We want to work the hardest we can, be the best we can and, br and bring salvation. Or we want to ascend to the, into the abyss, pay for our sins, pay our penance. And he's saying, that's not actually life. And Paul's saying, that's not actually life. Remember what Moses said? I'm saying the same thing, friends. And so then he goes on and says, the word is near you in your mouth, here in the middle, and in your heart, just like Moses said, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. 
Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That nearness, that thing that's going to rescue us is, is Jesus. And so we confess, you use your mouth to say, that's Jesus. He's the one who's done the work to go to heaven and rescue us. He's the one who has been raised from the dead and gone into the abyss so that we could have life. And he's near us. He's near us. Jesus says a very similar thing in Luke 6, 45. He says, what you say flows from what's in your heart. You know this, right? We've talked about this many times. What's actually in your heart, what you actually believe, what actually is your foundation of who you are and what you believe flows out of what you say. The passage isn't saying that there's two parts to this. Like they first figure out why your heart doesn't believe and then figure out why you're not talking enough about this or, or uh, please don't confess things that your heart doesn't believe. It's actually just saying those things go together. They're so meshed together. They're a thing that we see this all over in life, right? There's a, I believe so deeply and know so deeply that this is reality and true, that the way I talk and the things that come out of my mouth um, just speak to that reality. Think about when like you fall in love. You know a story, at least it's in movies. I bet someone in this room accidentally said I loved you to someone. Maybe they're dating and they're like, like, hey, have a good night. And they went, yeah, I love you. And then, oh no, <laughs> like I wasn't going to tell them yet, but I guess it's just like too much. I can't not overflow. And say, I think of that when I see my kid uh, about to get hurt, I would say, I go, oh no, 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 no. Because just out of my love, my deep love for them, that true reality, I, all I want to do is, is yell out to them, no, no, don't get hurt. Even if I don't mind thinking about it. I also might tell my kid I love him because of that. <laughs> I think of that if my heart, if my whole being really believes in something and holds to something, then sometimes even just a sigh is saying something about like what you really, where you really are right then, right? You might give a sigh because you're just exhausted and overwhelmed. At that point, you're just expressing your heart's exhaustion. Whether that's physical or maybe that's just emotional or mental, you just go like, ugh. Have you ever done that? Have you been in a room with someone who just went, oh, and you went, I know exactly where, where they're at from the sigh. Also, you might sigh and it might mean uh, something very different. Like, have you ever just come out of the cold from sledding or skiing or just home from work when it's cold and you get some warm coffee or cocoa and you sit down and it hits your lips and you smell it and you go, oh. it's like a different kind of sigh. You go, oh, there's just something. I'm like, Right now, just feeling warm and cozy and safe. You might even use your mouth not to speak it, but even just your mouth just does things because of where your heart's at. You might see a friend that you love, that you care about, and you might smile at them and not even know you're smiling at them because your body just reacts to what your whole being knows is true. You might find yourself crying at something that reminds you uh, of something else. This is a process that I'm, I've learned through grief uh, is how like a thing can like show through my body uh, where I'm really at, right? If you've lost a loved one and you might see a thing that like would never make someone cry, but because of its connection to a person or who you don't even know sometimes, your body just feels the great love for that person and then feels the great grief for losing that person. And then you start tearing up and your kids are like, what? Hypothetically, they're like, why are you crying, dad? And I'm like, I don't know. We just drove by McDonald's. <laughs> and somehow it made me cry. 
Because your whole being, like your, your heart goes, I, I so believe this and feel this and know it's true. And it comes out in your body. And I think that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, God is so near to you. And you say, Jesus, you've done it. You've come down from heaven and rescued us and saved us. And you've descended into the abyss and to hell and rescued us. I don't have to get myself to heaven and I don't have to pay for my sins. This is so good and it changes who you are and how you talk. And so Jesus, now we know this confession that we make is this Jesus. This is what we actually ask people when they get baptized here. We ask them, do you believe Jesus is Lord and Savior? Did he actually come from heaven? Is he God? Is he in charge? Do you want to obey him? And he's the Savior. Is he the one who's done the work on the cross to conquer the grave? That's the only questions we ask. We're just asking to confess. Yes, that's true. Jesus is near me, not far from me. And that is the news he, Paul so wants his friends to understand. He's near you. You don't have to keep working to get to him. He's come and done those things and he's near you. And the way to him is saying, yes, you've done those things. Yes, Lord, and being saved. So we get to the end of our passage here. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. It's all one, it's all one mashed up thing. Those things go together. Uh, for the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will not be put to shame for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This passage has, it continues similar, right? He's just explaining this, that our hearts turn to Jesus and our mouths even confess. It's this one act of, yes, I believe it, you are near. I don't need to climb that ladder or climb down that ladder. You are Lord and you are Savior. And I love this phrase, it's really helpful, I think. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. This is, I, I don't have to be ashamed of saying this is true, which is something I am sometimes. Uh, I want to say, yes, Jesus, this is true. Jesus is near. He's come to rescue me. He's Lord and Savior. And then it feels like, uh, is that wrong? Is that bad? I don't have to be ashamed of that. That is really good news. We're not put to shame. In fact, we are saved because of that. The end of this passage uh, comes from Joel. We actually saw this earlier in Romans. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And I think it's interesting when uh, this is spoken in Joel, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, Paul here quotes th this passage a few times in Romans, but he's essentially putting Jesus' name in there. Anyone who calls in the name of Jesus will be saved. He's saying to his friends, his Gentile, and especially I think his Jewish friends, Friends, the Lord we're calling on, his name is Jesus. He's come to rescue us. He's come down to rescue us. And he went down to pay for our sins and he's come back up. And now he calls us without any shame to enjoy his kindness and his riches. In Romans 2, it tells us uh, earlier here, we hear that his kindness and his riches turn us to repent. They cause us to want to repent and move towards him. And again, he's calling them to be people who repent, who turn towards the Lord, and all people get to turn towards the Lord. This essentially is what we hear in the book of Galatians, another version of this, instead of turning to the law as the thing, that those rules as the way to get to Christ, Christ has come to 
to finish that, to, to use that law, and he actually has accomplished it. Now we hold on to him. We jump on his back and we get to, he carries us through salvation. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. It is written, the curse, because we, we can't do it. Curse is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. That'd be me. I'm never going to hit all birdies. I'm never probably going to dunk. I, uh, brewers, I don't think they'll ever go undefeated. I, I'm cursed. And so the way out of that, what is that? Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Faith is our ticket. Faith is our completeness. Faith is what changes us. It heals us and it makes us whole. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, a person who, is not, uh, who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's good news. He himself has become a curse for us. And so back to our friend Moses. Uh, I don't think about this often, but this week I thought a lot about Moses didn't get into the promised land. That seems kind of stinks. I was recently talking to a friend whose company is doing really well and it got like bought out by another company. And he was saying how like, oh, this is really great. We're going to get bought out and we're all going to get raises. And then not long after that, he found out actually we're all getting fired. Uh, And he's like, I did all this work to get our company to this place that I thought, and then I don't get to see it. Moses gets these people this place and he doesn't get into the promised land. It doesn't, it just seems unfair. It seems like he's the one, he's telling them what it looks like to, to rely on God and be near God. And then he's the one. And then what he sees is he sends them off to the promised land. And then they all worship God just so purely and holy. And they just are wonderful followers of God. No, they just keep doing the same thing, just like we do. They keep turning to other gods. They keep turning to themselves. If you read the Gospels, it's a story of where God's people are in the promised land. In fact, a place where then they get sent to other places and they're not even together anymore. And Jesus comes when they're in just a bad place, really the same place, a place where they rely on the law to bring them life and rescue them instead of relying on the nearness of God, the one who's come. And so they find themselves in the same place where they try to ascend to heaven and bring back salvation. They're working hard. They're knowing more. They don't need help. They can make it to the promised land. They're God's people. They're going to make it to the promised land. They're going to create the promised land right where they're at. Or maybe they're feeling like they'll pay for their sins. Maybe through hardships or sacrifice or pain. Or penance, that phrase, if you know, is a, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt myself or do things to hurt myself to pay for, uh, to kind of pay back. Since this actually reminds me of two friends. Uh, one is Ben, uh, who, and one I'll, I'll call Glenn, because I don't think Glenn wants me to use his name. Uh, old friends, this is from way back. My friend Ben, though, I worked at camp with. Uh, he, he was like, I loved Jesus. He was a great musician. And so we got to play, uh, he's going to taught me how to play mandolin. Uh, and taught me, how to, I don't really know how to sing, but he taught me how to like sing less bad and became a pastor. And Ben uh, really loved the Lord and loved people dearly. He decided to spend part of his life in Haiti uh, working in an orphanage. I mean, the kind of person you just go like, if you're gonna say anyone worked hard, knew the Lord, was holy. 
I mean, he was a good person. Um, and so I don't think Ben sought this. I don't think Ben was trying to ascend to heaven. I think his faith was in Christ. But Ben is a person you might look to and go, oh, if I could be more like Ben, then I, God would want me and, and, and need me almost. I think of Ben because Ben was there when, there when the hurricane hit in Haiti and he was actually in the orphanage and he was on a low enough level that the building collapsed on him. And the last thing people heard from Ben was Ben singing hymns uh, in the, in the uh, rubble. So he was stuck in the rubble for a while till he passed away. But his friends that were there that we know said all we heard was Ben was okay and he was singing hymns. And uh, he wasn't okay. He was in rubble. Uh, like he, I think he probably knew that this was it. Um, but he knew that, that like even in the midst of rubble, he could just sing hymns because he was near to God in the midst of that rubble. His faith was in Christ. But he, he's when I think about like, I wish I could be more like Ben, but really I just want to be more like Ben in that rubble. And my friend Glenn is someone who for a lot of his life went through really hard things and often would just blame him. He'd say, that's oh, because I've done bad things. And God's getting back for me. That I just have to suffer enough and then God will be happy with me and near to me. And another bad thing would happen to me, go like, well, I was a pretty bad guy in high school and college, so this makes sense. So he believed, he lived this life where he thought he kind of had to pay for his sins and then eventually God would be near to him. Well, thankfully, Glenn also one day understood this truth and said, oh, God's actually near me. Christ has actually come and paid for my sins. I can't actually ever have enough bad done to me to pay for those sins. That's not how it works. And Glenn too got to put his faith in Christ. And so now when bad things happen, it's not, oh, God's paying me back. It's I get to, God's still near me and with me even in the midst of my suffering. I think we find moments, probably we live in each one of these, right? You think, well, that makes sense. Uh, God's punishing me. Or maybe if this happens, then God will give me something later. We forget in all of that, no matter which way we're living and then whatever moment we have, that in all of that, God is near to us. It's the same story that we see in the story of the prodigal sons. Uh, this story really applies to a lot of scripture. This story of a son who runs off and does all the things he's not supposed to do. The son who would not be following the law. And comes back and says, Father, I'll just be your servant. I don't even get to be your son. I just want to come back. And the father embraces him and loves him. He essentially goes like, I'm terrible and I deserve hell. And he says, no, you're part of the family. We're going to throw a feast. I can't believe you're back, my son, and embraces him. And the other son says, I've been here the whole time doing everything I'm supposed to do. And I don't get a party. And so we get this moment where you see both of these things happen at once. And Paul is saying, God is near to both of them. He just wants them to turn and embrace the father who wants both of them. And in fact, this is how um, Deuteronomy, before we read, this is how uh, it, it reads in the beginning of 30. And the Lord God will circumcise your heart and your heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and that you may live. See, so it actually says, the one who's actually going to change that heart so that your mouth speaks differently is God. Again, like what, is it, what does it look like for us to embrace the God who's right there rather than running after these other ways that we think our far off God get to? And this is where our friend here, Harriet, and Moses, I think, are so similar and not 
just from this maybe surface story of they both helped rescue people to freedom, but because of uh, something that Harriet would say often, when people would say, why would you risk your life to rescue people? Risk the fact that you could be pulled back into slavery, the fact that you'd probably be killed, the fact that there was uh, like uh, bounties out on your head. Why would you go back and rescue people you don't even know? and walk them through the woods, just, the un, just how unsafe that would be, through the swamps and the woods to get them to freedom. Why would you do this over and over and over again? And she'd say, I'm not concerned about that because in the midst of all that, I always told God, I'm going to hold steady on you and you've got to see me through. He would say, how could you get through this, Harriet? She'd say, because God was with me. He was near to me. So why would I worry? The words of Moses in Deuteronomy, the last thing Moses really calls these people, he says, as you continue to live your life, this is, this is what I want you to hold to. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Both Moses, Moses's, is that the plural Moses? <laughs> Moses's are calling us to the same thing. We, we can get through it because God is near to us. And we know that through Jesus. And so as we wrap up here, we can remember uh, the words of Moses at the end of Deuteronomy. This is Deuteronomy 31. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I am now 120 years old and I'm no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan the Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you. As the Lord said, and the Lord will do it to them what he did to Sion and Og and the kings of Amorites whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified of them. For the Lord God is goes with you and he will never leave you or forsake you. How, uh, these are just like, he's talking about physical realities that really are pointing to great, great spiritual realities of how many things feel far off, how many things feel in between us and God. I can't overcome these. I can't make it to this promised land. He says, God's gonna go ahead and take care of those things. He's with you. He's near to you. How much of your time are you spending trying to get to him? He's near to you. And so we see this moment. I think Moses uh, doesn't make it to the promised land, but I think Moses makes it to the promised land. It's the same language we see uh, that we saw when we were talking about Israel and Israel. Moses didn't maybe make it across the Jordan into the promised land, but it seems like Moses' faith was in God and when God was coming and goes, Moses anticipating a God who one day would come and rescue them through their savior. We got a new Venn diagram. We get to add to it. There's a promised land and there's a promised land. Moses may not have made it to the promised land, but he made it to the promised land. <laughs> And this is for us, the same promise we have that it may seem far off. And instead of us working to get far off, know that God is right here. That Jesus is your Lord right now, right here. He's come from heaven and he's gone back to heaven and he's on his throne. And he's come and done the work on the cross and went to hell and back. 
He died and he has come back. He's risen. And now we get to hold on to him. Almost like we get to huddle up on a sled and just slide down with him. It's really, really good news. What does that look like now for you today, this week? How much are we trying to ascend to heaven and into the abyss when Christ has done that and we get to hold him and then move forward? I'm going to welcome our worship team up and we can respond to this good news, this gospel. A um, couple of things to consider as we uh, move to this time. Do you confess Jesus as Lord and Savior? That he has done the work, that he is Lord. When are you trying to get to the promised land without Jesus? What does it look like for you? Maybe you even think, I've reached it. I've made it. This is as good as it gets. And then you find out, maybe, maybe it's not. What do you keep turning to without Jesus? He's near, he's there. And, and our response is just confess, yes, you're here, you're with us. When does your heart sing to someone other than Jesus? When do you feel yourself, you don't even realize it, and it comes out? A great love for someone or something might be a good indicator of like where your heart's really at when you find yourself. The words are coming out of your mouth, what you're talking about. And who needs, who needs to know that God is with them? Someone who needs to know that. You and, I bet there's someone on your mind you can start praying for that they would know God is with them. Let me pray for us and we will continue to worship and sing songs that remind us of this good news and we get to proclaim with our mouths and confess this good news. A couple of things we love to do when we respond, we have communion out in the hallways. We'd love for you to take communion. It's an opportunity to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus, uh, that he has conquered death. Uh, you don't have to be a Christian. You don't, you, don't have to be a, you don't have to be a member of hope. We ask that you're just a Christian so it's meaningful to you. We'll sing together. There's people who want to pray for you in the back of the room. Um, and you can always give as a response to out. There's a black box. Otherwise, you can do that online. Let me pray for us and we will continue to worship. Lord, uh, you're really good. Really, really good to us that you are near to us. You're not a God that's far off on your throne somewhere and we have to complete tasks to get to you. We have to sacrifice to get, we just get to, to embrace you right here with us. I pray that we would hold tightly to you and that would change us and that would change how we talk and how we move and how we think, and how we feel. But Lord, I pray today that we continue each day to confess that you are Lord, that you are Savior, and that would change us. And I pray that others would be changed by that as well. We thank you for Jesus and all he's done. And I pray these words as we sing them would enter our hearts and change our hearts and heal our hearts. We pray this in your name. Amen.